Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to the book of Luke and chapter number five. Luke chapter five this morning. Luke chapter five this morning. We are in a series uh, talking about um, encountering Christ and the possibilities of a life with Jesus. And uh, just if you remember with me, kind of to help us all be on the same page, of course, last week, we had a guest speaker, Pastor Tate Thronson, brought a great message out of the book of Jonah. And uh, I hope that if you weren't here, you go back and listen to that. It was a help to us. But before that, uh, we began a brand new series in the book of Luke. And uh, we were in Luke at the beginning of the year, took a break, and now we're jumping back into it. Uh, if you would remember the reason why the gospel of Luke is written. Now, we know that the Bible is all written. Uh, Of course, it's written about uh, uh, believers and followers of God, and it's written for our learning. We know that from Scripture, that all the Bible is for us to learn. But uh, there's specific context of every passage. So why is the book of Luke written? Well, if you were to go to Luke chapter 1, you would find in the first five verses why the book of Luke is written. Uh, Luke, who was around during the time of Christ and an early follower of Jesus, he was not an apostle of Christ, but he was an early follower of Jesus, he is writing to a, a ruler of some sort because he writes in those first five verses to a man by the name of Theophilus. And he says to him, I'm going to write to you, O most excellent Theophilus, and I'm going to describe to you the life of Jesus as it happened, pretty much in chronological order. And so Luke, he writes, but there's a, there's a specific motive that Luke is writing for, or a specific reason he's writing. The reason that the book of Luke is there, the, the kind of focal point that Luke has, is to prove that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior for all of the world, for Jew and Gentile, for no matter what your background is, Jesus came for all people. And you can see that early on. And so what Luke had to do is he had to prove some things. First, he had to prove that Jesus was in fact the Son of God. And he does that by prophecy in Luke chapter one, by the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter number two, by the early childhood of Christ in Luke chapter two. He does it by proving the deity of Jesus, that Jesus is God in the flesh, and he does that in chapter number three. In the beginning of chapter number four, Luke changes gears. The first three chapters, Luke is focusing upon the person of Jesus Christ. From chapter four all the way to the end of about chapter number nine, and really on, but from chapter four to chapter nine, Luke is going to prove that Jesus is the Messiah or the Savior by focusing on the power of Jesus, uh, many of the miracles that he did. And so if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we saw Jesus 
on the uh, Sea of Galilee and them pulling in fish. And you remember the story of, of Peter and Jesus telling him, cast your net. And Peter said, Lord, we've been fishing all night. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will, I'll, I'll obey. And he followed by faith and brought in fish enough that was sinking two boats. And because of that, a man blown away. And Jesus said, from this day forward, you're not gonna be a fisher of men, or excuse me, a fisher of fish, but you're gonna fish after men and you're gonna catch people. And, and we watched as they forsook all, uh, Luke chapter five, verse number 11, and they followed Christ. As we come to Luke chapter five and verse number 12, where we're going to pick up today, we need to know this morning that Luke is going to write about some events that may or may not have happened in chronological order. He doesn't give us a specific city. He doesn't give us a specific day because Luke is not trying to draw attention to a time and a place. Luke is trying to draw attention to a person. And so we're going to see that this morning. But before we get to it, I need to ask you a question. We had VBS this last week, and uh, it was a great time. I'm, again, thankful for all the decisions made, but it was a superhero theme. And my question for you is, have you, have you ever noticed how kids are when they dress up in a, uh, a superhero outfit? You ever notice that? Um, for some reason, Dustin, I'm not connecting here, so there you go. You can just go to that next one. I found this picture of our boys uh, years ago, dressing up. Uh, Dennis is there and Micah and then some big green giant. <clears throat> you ever watched a kid play in a superhero outfit? This week we had those superhero themes, so kids came dressed up like superheroes. But one of the crafts uh, that Miss Sabrina was over and a bunch of our ladies helped with, one of the crafts the very first night that they made is they all made Batman masks. And I can't tell you how many kids wore those Batman masks every night. Every day they wore those Batman masks and kids would come in and you would watch them come in and almost, almost change immediately into a superhero character. It didn't have to be Batman or Superman or anything. It was just in their mind, they're like a superhero. I uh, was watching, I, <laughs> I told the 830 service that Pastor Rob was really cheap, and so he made his kids capes out of trash bags. But they were cute. They just cut out little trash bags, and I watched little Adelin and Weston. I think Adeline's six, and Weston, I think Weston's four. And I was watching them one day as we were prepping, and you know what they did? They were like, all the kids did it, but I just caught these two. They had those masks on and those capes, and you watch them, you know what they're doing? And they're flying, they're jumping on the rows. Look at me, you know, I'm bad. You ever try to convince a kid they're not a superhero? Man, you might, I mean, that's a losing battle. My son is 17, and I still try to convince him that he's not Batman. He's like, Dad, that's my true identity. No, it's not, man. You know what, kids, you try to convince them, hey, you're not that superhero. Why? Man, they get so enamored with it. They get stuck in that character. If you've ever watched any superhero movies, you know something about a superhero? They have a real identity and their superhero identity. And they're always hiding one or the other from everybody around them. You ever watch Superman? You know what's mind-blowing about Superman? How can you not tell? I mean, it's literally a pair of glasses. Like there are some of you wearing glasses today. If you took your glasses off, I'm not gonna be like, hey, are you new? I've never met you before. Why? Man, the glasses don't change much. And yet you watch in the, in the cartoons and in the movies, you watch as Superman 
puts on a pair of glasses and takes off a cape. And people are like, oh, Clark Kent, how you doing? He's like, I'm doing good. Do you know who Superman is? No, no, no clue. Yeah, liar, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's from years ago, isn't it, Craig? Liar! Uh, you know what, man? You, you look at those characters, they're hiding their true identity. This week, as we taught the kids, we taught them the principle that all those superheroes, they're all fake. Not trying to be mean to ruin it. You know, it's not like, hey, Santa Claus isn't real. It's Superman's not real. Batman's not real. But there is a superhero, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the hero of the world, and we tried to teach that each and every night about the, the fact that Jesus is real and has a plan for their lives as children. And you know one thing, as I was studying for today, thinking about VBS, thinking about superheroes, you know something I'm very thankful for? Jesus never tried to hide his real identity. If you were to go and really, if you were to just pull out any single week or two or three days in the life of Jesus Christ, you know what you'd find? Who he was. He never hid who he was. He never tried to fake people out on who he was. He gave his true identity. And this morning, what we're going to see today is that any time, any days in the life of Jesus Christ, you can identify the fact that he had no secret identity. He wanted people to know who he was, what he could do, and why he was here. And this morning, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna jump into a portion of scripture. It's not identified where this took place in the sense of a specific city. It's not identified uh, uh, what day this took place on. And again, the whole reason is because Luke is drawing attention to this fact. Jesus Christ wasn't hiding anything from anyone. He is who he says he was. His identity met up with his character, with, what he, with the words that he spoke. And today, what we're going to discover is this simple principle that you could draw out. You could take any three days from the life of Christ, from the stories that we have, and you'd find the lessons that we're gonna learn this morning to be true in every single one of them. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go to Luke chapter five. We're gonna read two stories that take place, kind of walk through the stories, and then I'm gonna give you five lessons that you can find from the life of Jesus from any day in the life of Christ, and then we'll wrap up by figuring out how that applies to you and I. So let's take our Bibles, Luke chapter five, verse number 12. Let's stand together just to read God's word. Luke chapter five and verse number 12, we read these words today, and it came to pass that when he, Jesus, was in a certain city, behold, a, a man full of leprosy, seeing Jesus, he fell on his face and he besought him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he, Jesus, put forth his hand and touched him saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but first go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing, according as Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he, Jesus, verse 16, he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there was Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by. They were a part of the crowd, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord 
was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. That means he was paralyzed. And they sought means to bring him in. They looked for ways to get him before Christ and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up on the housetop, let him down through the tiling with his couch or his bed into the midst before Jesus. And when he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he, Jesus, answering, said unto them, what reason ye in your hearts? Whether it's easier to say, thy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power upon the earth to forgive sins. Jesus turns to the man sick of the palsy, and he says unto him, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up, took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. These stories that we read this morning, we're going to, we, we could take time and dive in and get all of the principles about leprosy and about the paralyzed man and about the friends and all of that. But there's kind of an overarching theme that I see as we look at these few verses and at these two stories together. And that's the fact that no matter the day, no matter the circumstance, Jesus wasn't hiding anything from people. And the same principle is true today that in your life and mine, Jesus isn't trying to hide stuff. He's not trying to have a secret identity. And so today we're gonna discover who Christ is, some things that we learn about him and then how it can help us this week. So let's pray. Let's ask God for his help this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take just a minute in the quietness of your heart, would you pray and would you ask Jesus to speak into your life today? And would you make a commitment? God, if you speak to me today, I'm going to listen to you. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning and we pray that you would help us as we uh, see your identity not hidden from us. God, that we would catch the lessons and the principles and then Lord, that we would be able to apply it to our lives for this week. God, we give you permission to work. Lord, I do humble myself before you and I recognize God that this is your word and your message. And Lord, I know that I've been challenged through these verses and this passage, and I pray that you would challenge and help each and every one of us as we listen to you today. I do pray, Lord, if there is someone that is here or maybe with us online that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust in you alone. We love you, God. Thank you for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> so again, we come to this passage. We find that in this particular portion of scripture, 
Luke doesn't refer too much to specific places. He doesn't refer to specific times. Although we know from cross-referencing that it's probably in the early ministry of Christ. Most of this is probably near the city of Capernaum, but Luke is not drawing attention to that because he's trying to, again, draw attention to the power of Jesus and the, the proof that he is the Christ. But let's get the stories this morning. The Bible tells us that Jesus is in a certain city. We know the city is in the region of Galilee. That would be that northern region of, of Israel, probably near Capernaum or Magdala or uh, Tiberias or something like that. We know that Jesus is traveling, and in verse number 12, we pick up the story that he comes into a certain city. And as he's entering into the city, no doubt this all takes place outside the city. Why? Well, because... He encounters a man with leprosy. Leprosy, if you know anything about it, it is a completely debilitating disease that is a life-altering disease that causes you to be an outcast from society. If someone contracts leprosy, they get usually sent to the outside of the city, and there's a little encampment for those with leprosy. Uh, leprosy is a disease that would take everything from you. It's a disease that would literally cause you to be removed from your home, your family, your friends, your job, your hobbies, every area of life. This disease would eat away at your body until ultimately you would die from its, its ruthless uh, uh, terror in your life. And so Jesus, coming to this city, he's seen by a man with leprosy. Now, we don't know who this man was. We don't know how long he had leprosy, but we do know he's heard about Jesus. How do we know that? Because of his approach to Christ. And I, I want you to remember that the word of God, when we read through scripture, words are in there for a reason. And the Bible tells us that in 2 Timothy, that all of God's word is, for our, is, for, is inspired by God and is for our correction and reproof and instruction. And so every word matters. When we read this, here's what we find, that as Jesus comes into this town, this man with, with leprosy comes to him and in humility, do you catch what he says? In humility, he comes before Jesus and he says, if thou will, you can make me clean. The phrase that he besought Jesus, it means that he begs before him. So this leper comes before Christ. And of course, maybe the, there's some apostles there. We know the disciples, we know uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John probably were some of the ones that were there. Matthew hasn't been called yet. Some of the others haven't been called yet, but we know that some are there, no doubt saying, Jesus, separate from him. He's got leprosy, man. We don't want to catch that. And they're turning and walking away. And this man comes and he says, if thou will, be thou clean. You know what we see in that, in that phrase? We see this man having a complete faith that God was able, questioning if God was willing. I want you to think about this for just a minute. Because when you and I approach God, do you know what we often do? We don't just question if God is willing, like, Lord, if this be according to your will. If you're like me, then sometimes, you know what we actually do? We question God's ability. Here's what you find in this passage. This man with leprosy, he wasn't questioning the power of God. Do you see that? Do you see that he knew, hey, you're a, I know you're able. Are you willing to do this? As I read that this morning, boy, that's challenging to me because I don't know about you, but in my, in my life, in situations in my life, sometimes I come to God and I say, God, I want this to be according to your will. 
because I know well. God, I know what's best for me. And so I say, God, I know that this is your will, but I don't know if you have the power to do it. Oh, may not, now we may not verbalize that to the Lord, but how often have you thought this? God, you've done that for them, but I don't know that you could do it for me. And we come to God and we question his power. I love the approach of this leper because he doesn't question God's power. He says, God, I know you're able. If you're willing, you could make me whole. You could make me clean. And Jesus, in that moment, I love what he does. He responds and he says, I am willing. And then he just speaks one word. It's four or five words in our English translations of the Bible, be thou clean or be thou cleansed or be made whole. But in the Greek, it's one word, katharizo. And it means be clean, be made pure, be made whole, be purged of any disease or infirmity. And Jesus not only speaks this, but he touches the man's shoulder. He reaches out and touches the man and says, I will, katharizo. And immediately that man is cleansed of his leprosy. And Jesus says, all right, don't go spread the word yet. First, you need to go to the temple. You need to go through what the law said. You see, the law in Leviticus chapter number 14 would tell you if you got cleansed from leprosy, you got to go to the priest. You've got to go through these, uh, these kind of uh, cleansing processes. They've got to make sure that you're actually healed before you can go back to your family and your life. And so Jesus, again, there, he's kind of submitting to the law. He's saying, hey, before you tell people, you need to go make sure that you do this right. So what's the leper do? Well, he goes back, but the Bible tells us in verse number 15, there had to be other people there because word began to spread abroad and multitudes now come to him. And so Jesus in verse 15, he's now healing and speaking to multitudes. And it says that he healed to many, many of their infirmities. All right, verse 16, what does Jesus do? He goes into the hills and he rests, he prays. Verse 17, he comes into the city of Capernaum. Now, we, we know it's the city of Capernaum because of Matthew and Mark. They both record that this miracle took place in the city of Capernaum. In this city of Capernaum, Jesus enters into a house. He goes into a house, and it's not a house like you live in and like I live in that may have two or three bedrooms or four bedrooms or a, a large living room, and you've got your family room and your TV and all of that stuff. Now, I don't know if Peter had a TV or not, but I do know that, I'm kidding, he didn't, just so you know. But I know that those rooms, you'd have one living room that was maybe about 20 feet by about 10 or 12 feet, and then you'd have maybe one bedroom, one sleeping area, and then maybe a little prayer room, at the most three, if you were really rich, you might have four areas in your house. And so we know that Jesus enters into that main living room. The Bible tells us that multitudes, great multitudes of people now are following him and gathering. And so they gather around. And what does Jesus do? Well, he begins to teach them. There's doctors there and lawyers there. And uh, by lawyers, it's people who knew the law, the law of the Torah, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. We know that there's Pharisees there and there's beggars there. We know that there's probably some guards there. There's a lot of people that are in this, they're kind of squished into this little room, maybe about the, maybe about the size of the platform here. They're, they're squished into this. And Jesus is teaching them. As he teaches in this squished, confined area, a group of four or five folks bringing their friend on a, on a mat 
Now, when it says that he was on his bed or on the couch, uh, when we think of a couch, you know, we think of him carrying like a little hide-a-bed or something like that, you know, or your couch from your living room. No, it was just a, it was just a bedroll just a bed mat that a single person could carry under their arm and maybe they would take it and, and travel for a little bit. When they camp at night, they'd roll out that bed mat. So I want you to picture with me maybe just a, a six foot or a seven foot mat by, by maybe two, three, two feet or three feet, maybe kind of like a, uh, the, the size of a twin bed, just kind of a sheet that would be there. These four men, they approach, they come to this multitude of people and the Bible says that they're trying to find their way in but they can't find their way in. And so one of them's like, hey, let's just go to the roof. That, that wouldn't be uncommon. Their roof would be an area that they would uh, perhaps have a garden, maybe dry their, uh, dry their clothes, dry their laundry after they washed it. It would be an area that they could go up and be outside and get some sun and the, an area that they could be outside during, uh, during Sabbath or Shabbat that they would not be able to have to travel. I mean, there's a, a lot of people that would do that, have a little, a little patio-like style on their roof. So they climb up there, they get this man up there, and then they're thinking, well, now what? All the while, Jesus is teaching on the inside. And as he's speaking to all of these people, perhaps there's one gentleman there that's kind of standing maybe a, a foot in front of Jesus, just glued on every word. And then all of a sudden, that man feels something begin to drop on his head, on his shoulders. There's dirt on my shoulder. He starts wiping it off. And pretty soon, four or five people are starting to feel things. And they're looking up. And man, before you know it, daylight begins to peer through. They're wondering, what's going on? Why are they doing construction on their house today? Don't they know that you can't re-roof this today? They can't, don't, don't do it today. And they take those tiles, those guys up there removing the tiles. And before you know it, there's a hole that's big enough for a, a human being, for someone to go down through. And these people are all there. Dirt's been falling on them. And lo and behold, they look up and they're surprised to see the, the underside of a mat a bed. They know what it is. It's a bedroll. Why is there a bedroll being lowered down? And then they're even more surprised when as it gets lower and they begin to see what's on it, that there's a paralyzed man on this bed. This room's already squished. And so they have to decide what are we going to do? So they kind of move back and squish back a little bit more and, and no doubt frustrated and irritated. What are these people doing? And the Bible tells us the word of God says that that man on that mat comes down and lays on that floor right there and I almost imagine myself in his place and you're right there before the one that you know could heal you and with tears in his eyes, he looks up, maybe he begins to mutter some words and Jesus just stops him. He looks up and he sees those four or five friends peering in, wondering what's gonna happen. And Jesus just looks up at them looks at this man and says, thy faith has saved you. He says, your sins are forgiven. The Bible says that he, Jesus, seeing their faith, the faith of the man and the faith of the friends, says to them, you're forgiven of your sins. Well, the skeptics who are there, the Pharisees and the lawyers and those who think they know religion, they go, who can forgive sins except for God? 
They, they begin to think that in their thoughts and they begin to maybe whisper it amongst themselves. They wouldn't be perhaps the closest. They would be kind of back here off to the side, kind of murmuring and complaining. And the Bible tells us that Jesus perceived their thoughts. He knew exactly what they were thinking. And so he says to them, why are you doing that? Hey, why are you guys thinking that? Do you think, it's, do you think it's hard for me to forgive sins or do you think it's harder to heal somebody? But to prove to you that I am the son of man, that phrase to the Hebrew means the Messiah, son of God. To prove to you that I am Messiah, the savior, he turns to the man with the palsy and not only are your sins forgiven, but take up your bed and walk. Hey, get up. Roll your mat up and go home. And to the amazement of everybody, <gasps> that paralyzed man gets up, rolls that mat, puts it under his arm, maybe gives Jesus a hug, and he begins squeezing back through all the people. And the Bible tells us in verse 25 and 26 that all of the people were amazed. You know that word all means right there? It literally means everybody included in the room. You know who that meant? The Pharisees and scribes. Hey, why is it, this off topic real quick, but why is it that the Pharisees, when they went to crucify Jesus, why did they have to hire people to lie about Jesus? Why did they do that? It's because they knew the truth. They knew who Jesus was. And on this day, they knew that Jesus had the power to save. They knew that he was the son of God. And so it says that they were all amazed and they all glorified God. And then they wrap up the, this story by saying, we have seen strange things today. That phrase, we have seen strange things, it, says, it means we have seen extraordinary and unexplainable things today. So here we are in just three or four days of the life of Jesus. What can we learn about Jesus from just these few short days? What lessons stand out from this principle that would, or from these, these stories that would apply to every other story? Here's what I want us to see today, the fact that Jesus wasn't hiding anything and you can take any one of these five lessons we're gonna learn very quickly and you could put them on any story and you'd find them to be true. And here's what I want us to see first off today. Jesus wasn't hiding this. He wasn't hiding that he is willing and able to work in the life of anybody who comes to him. Jesus is willing and able to work in the life of whoever comes to him. Let's take, for instance, just the days that we read about. Who did Jesus who did Jesus help during these days? Well, first we meet a leper, a man with a disease. Then we meet great multitudes that are coming to him. Then we meet a paralyzed man and his friends. We meet Pharisees. We meet lawyers. We meet larger groups of people. Next week, if you're here, we'll meet a tax collector that Jesus worked in his life. And in just a few short days, we find Jesus working in the lives of all of these people. They came to him. And Jesus was willing and he was able to work in their life. We see it throughout the ministry of Christ. I mean, think about this question. What type of people did Jesus have an impact on? 
Now let's broaden the spectrum and let's look at all of the ministry of Jesus. Who did he work in? Well, he worked in people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, men, women, children, the blind, the lame, the deaf, the mute, rulers, beggars, the demon possessed, the disease riddled, the dead, people with all types of sicknesses, Hebrew, Gentile, people with all types of employment, all types of religious background, the Pharisees, the scoffers, the Sadducees, the lawyers, the doctors, the rich, the poor, you name it, if they came to Jesus and they were willing to listen, you know what Jesus did is he worked in their life. You say, Pastor, why bring that thought out from these stories today? Because if you're like me, then there are times in your life when you say, God, I know you can for them, but not for me. God, I know you will for someone, but not for me. Here's the principle that you need to see in the life of Jesus that is congruent with every day in the life of Christ. It goes along with every single story that if you come before him and say, God, I humble myself to you, I am here. You know what God says? I am willing and I am able to work in your life. Hey, listen, quit giving God excuses of why he can't work in your life and start believing in the fact that he can. Hey, God can work in your life. Now, maybe his plan might look differently than what you think it looks like or should look like. But the fact is that God can work in the life of anybody. I meet people who often say, well, if you only know who I am, then you would know that, man, God can't do anything with me. No, that's false. That's a lie from Satan because God can work in your life. Well, if you knew where I came from or what I've done or my past or what I really think or what I really am, if you knew that I have nothing to give, if you knew that I'm not an important person or I was poor or am poor, I, was, I wasn't raised in church or I have this issue or that issue, man, the answer to all of that was given by Jesus in Matthew chapter number 11 when he said, come unto me and are heavy laden and I will do what? I will give you rest. He continues to say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find. Then he says this, you will find rest unto your soul. That phrase, rest unto your soul, it means complete contentment in your life. What is Jesus saying? Hey, join up with me and watch me work. Man, Jesus is willing, and he is able to work in the life of anybody. He said it this way in John 6, 37, the father giveth me shall come unto me and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Of course, about salvation, knowing Jesus, you come to him. He will forgive your sins. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Luke chapter two and verse number 10, when the announcement of Jesus is given, it is given as something that brings good tidings of great joy to all people. And then James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote it well when he said this, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. What is, what is all of this? Hey, come to God. He's willing to work. Hey, give God your day. He's willing to work. Give God your week. He's willing to work. Humble yourself before God in your marriage. He's willing to work. Humble yourself before God in your workplace. God is willing to work. Hey, that trial that's going on in your life. Hey, listen, things may not work out like you and I think they should work out, but God said, give me that trial. I am willing to work. I will prove myself to be faithful to you in the trial. The problem is that many of us, we're not willing to come. Oh, we're willing to listen. We're like the rich young ruler. Remember what happened with the rich young ruler? He came to God and he said, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you gotta believe me. You're, you're trusting in riches. You need to sell everything you have and follow me. Jesus wasn't saying, here's a work to perform. Jesus was saying, you are trusting in this world and in riches, but you need me in your life. 
And the Bible says that that rich young ruler departed. He never believed. Hey, you know what? Some of us, sometimes we are willing to listen to the Lord, but during the week, sometimes we're not willing to come to the Lord, be willing to humble ourselves before him. And God worked in these guys' lives, in the leper's life, in the paralytic's life. Jesus worked in the life of even uh, the five men or the four men that brought the paralyzed man and the multitudes in verse 15 and the many in verse number 25 and 26. Jesus worked in their life. Why? They were willing to come to him. Jesus says, if you come to me, I am willing and able to work in your life. Do you know who this applies to? Not just them, it applies to you and me. It applies to you and me. We're gonna come back to that thought in just a minute. I want you to notice secondly with me today. The second principle I see is that Jesus always blesses faith. Hey, faith is always blessed by God. If you were to go to our passage in the first story, the leper comes to Jesus and says, if thou will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I will. Katharizo, be thou clean. I'll make you clean. In the second story of the paralyzed man, we read that when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the man, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. When Jesus saw the faith of the leper, he blessed it. When Jesus saw the faith of the paralyzed, he blessed it. When Jesus saw the faith of the friends, he blessed it. We spoke briefly about this a couple of messages ago, but we've got to remember that God blesses faith, coming to him with a belief that he can and a trust that he will. This is not some get-rich-quick theology in, in this uh, uh, common belief amongst Christianity nowadays. You know, well, if you, just, you know, if you just believe hard enough, then God will give it to you. You know, if you believe that God will give you a million dollars, then God will. That's not, what, that's not what faith is. No, I love the story of the leper because he believed that God could and trusted God's will. If thou will, you can make me clean. You know what our modern day Christianity needs? It needs some more Christians that would just say, you know what, I believe that God can. I don't know that he will, but I believe that he can. I know that he can. It's a complete faith. It says, God, I trust your will. Now here's where we get messed up in that. We have something going on, financial, health, friends, friendship, relationship, and we pray. God, heal. God, give. God, work. And we're coming to him, and we're, we're in this mindset. God, as best as I know how. God, I am praying. I believe you can. I believe you will. And then God does the opposite of what we were asking. And that financial thing falls through. That health situation takes a life. That, that, that relationship struggle never goes away. And we go, oh, I knew he wouldn't. You see, because he does for them, but doesn't for me. Or we go, see, it doesn't work. We get caught up on the will part. And we say, God, that's my will. You know what we must do? We've got to come back to the place where we realize that God promises to bless faith, but sometimes he'll bless it in ways that are opposite of what we think. Sometimes he blesses by giving ultimate healing to that person with cancer and they are in heaven. Now in our minds, that's not a blessing. 
Why? Because I love them. That's not a blessing to me, God. Why? Because I need them. That's not a blessing, God, and we have that mindset. But here's what we need to do. We need to step back and realize, no, God, I realize you have the power to. And if, if you're willing, you can. But God, if it's not according to your will, I submit to it. Hey, believer, God always blesses faith. That blessing may look differently, but God always blesses faith. The author of Hebrews wrote it this way. It's impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them. There is blessing to those that diligently seek him. Boy, the word of God in history is filled with tons of stories of blessed faith. And while you and I want to think, listen, I know Dennis Fountain's brain, and maybe you don't need this today, but I do, because I know that in my mind, when I think about faith and when I think about trust, I think about the times it did not work out the way I wanted it to. Man, I wanna encourage you to rewind for just a second and think about the times that God has blessed faith. Think about the times that God did bless when you gave or you said something or you spoke up. Think about the times when you did say, okay, God, here is this area and God stepped in and said, there, boom, now you see it. Think about the times. Man, remember those times that you prayed and you knew this is God's will. And God was like, no, it's not. And then you looked back later and you went, no, it's not. Thank you, God. Man, maybe you don't have those times, but I do. I remember as a young man uh, in college thinking, man, this girl, she's God's will for me. And I remember I got in an argument with my dad. I called him and I said, I was 20 or 19 years old. And I called my dad and said, dad, I met her. You met who? I, I met the girl I'm gonna marry. He's like, all right. And he already knew I'd kind of been dating this girl for a little bit. And I said, I'm gonna ask her. I'm, I'm, I, wanna, I want your permission to ask her to marry me. And he said, no. I said, why? He said, she's not the one. I was like, dad, yes, she is. You don't even know her. He's like, well, I know enough to say she's not the one. And he wasn't mean, but he was like, I, I'm just telling you my opinion. And I prayed. I was like, God, this is your will. I know it is. Well, can I tell you, it wasn't. And I'm thankful that it wasn't because God brought me to Hannah and that was God's will. And I remember calling my dad on that and saying, hey, this girl, Hannah Perkins. And my dad went, yes. She's the one. How do you know? I just know. And her dad was, I asked her dad to, if I could marry her after just a, we were, we were only together for three months. And I said, hey, I love your daughter. I want to marry her. He said, what took you so long, man? I was like, seriously? He's like, yeah, you told her you loved her after a week. I mean, come on. And we got married, you know, seven months later. We'd only been together 10 months and got married. You know what? I am thankful that God's will was not Dennis's will. What are you saying, pastor? I'm just saying there are times in your life that God blesses faith in ways that you don't know. But there's also ways and times that God blesses your faith just completely. He goes above and beyond. I think today, right now, in Republic, Washington, of a church planter by the name of Greg Perkins. It's my wife's dad, 27 years ago, Greg Perkins went to Republic Washington to start Liberty Baptist Church with just a small group of people in a town of 900. Today is their church's 27th anniversary. And you know what I look at? I look at a, a church where faith has been completely blessed. 
I look at a church when God has stepped in and said, I will bless faith. And Hannah and I are up there often. And Pastor Perkins, Greg, he tells us about another person that received Jesus Christ. And Hannah says, dad, where do you find these people? This is a town of 900. You'd think after 27 years, you'd run out of people. And he's like, hey, God keeps bringing people in and we keep telling folks about the Lord. And the faith of a man 27 years ago to start a church and now in a town of 900, this morning they'll have their anniversary service. You know what they'll probably have in service? Probably 150 people in a town of 900. I don't know any other city in America where a church could say, hey, we run 13% of our town. They can't do that. Man, if Moses, if, if our church ran just 10% of our community, it'd be 2,000 people, 20, 2,600 people in church. We don't run that. What is that? It's God blessing faith. Pastor, why bring this up? Because God doesn't just bless someone else's faith. He wants to bless your faith. God wants you to believe that he can. Notice the third lesson we learn about Jesus is this, that Jesus needed rest and rejuvenation. I love verse number 16. He withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. You know, this is a custom with Jesus Christ. You can find it in all of these passages, Matthew 14, Matthew 21, Mark 1, Mark 3, and Mark 6, where it says that Jesus would go away into a private place by himself and pray. Why would Jesus do this? Well, a few reasons. Number one, Jesus lived in this flesh just like you and I do. He dealt with the flesh. You know what that means? He got tired. How many of you get tired every now and then? Yeah, if your hand's not up, you're already asleep in church. That's okay. You know why? We just get tired. And Jesus got tired. Why why did he rest? Because he's tired. Why else did he rest? Because he put emphasis on time alone with God. He just spent time alone with God. Why else did he rest? Because he was giving us an example. Hey, you know who else gave us an example? His name was God the Father. Six days he created the world, and on the seventh day he rested. Why? Was that because he was exhausted? No, he's God. It's because he was giving us an example. And in our culture, and specifically in our Christian culture, we have a couple of different uh, perspectives about rest. We have the group that's over here that they, they choose to just work 70, 80, 90 hours a week. And they just keep pushing themselves and they look at rest and they think, oh, rest is for the weak. I will rest when I die. And then we have this other group over here, the other extreme. They rest and rest and rest. And pretty soon, six months, eight months, a year, not accomplishing anything. I'm just resting. There's two two perspectives, isn't there? The ultimate worker and the lazy person who just doesn't ever try to do anything for Christ. You know where we need to be? We need to be in the middle where we recognize God blesses work and on the six days I work, but on the seventh I rest. Pastor, why do you bring this out? Because if God rests, you can too. If God put emphasis upon rest, you can rest too. And Jesus didn't hide that from people. Here's what he did when he got alone. He rested rested. And he spent time at God. He spent time with God. Wait, he was God. He was giving us an example. Hey, you know what you should have built into your every week? You should have a day off. Pastor, I'm just so busy. Then you're too busy. Why? Get time away. Time away from the norm of the routine. Well, I just, my work, my job. Hey, listen, if God did it, you and I can do it. 
We should have it built into our week. We should have it built into our month. We should have it built into our year. And what should we do during our rest? Hey, in your time of rest, spend time with the Lord, spend time with your family. Don't miss, don't miss the blessings of healthy relationships with God and with those around you. You know what Jesus did? He separated in the midst of these days, working with multitudes of people. He got apart and rested and spent time with God and then got back at it. And then later you'll see him resting again and spending time with God and then getting back at it. Pastor, why do you bring that up? Because Jesus wasn't hiding anything. You know what some of us do? I did it for my first first three years of pastoring. I didn't want people to know I took a day off. And so I'd answer my phone anytime I'd go anywhere and people, okay, can we give coffee on your day off? They wouldn't even know it's my day off. Let's get together. And I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, we can. Because I wanted to be that guy that just drove, drove, drove. And we hit a point where my wife was like, hey, hi, hello, we're still here. And man, I had to step back and say, Dennis, you know what you need to do? Rest. Why? God rested. I noticed fourthly this morning that God is always aware of your thoughts and your emotions. We'll see this quickly, but it says in verse number 22 that Jesus perceived their thoughts. That means that he was fully acquainted with their thoughts and what they were thinking. Jesus knew exactly what they thought. So Jesus says to the man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And they said, who can forgive sins except for God? They thought it amongst themselves. And Jesus was fully acquainted with their thoughts. You see that all throughout scripture, Matthew 9, 4, Jesus knew their thoughts and said, why do you think this evil in your heart? Luke 11, Luke chapter six, Matthew chapter number 12, Jesus was aware of the thoughts of man. And here's what I wanna tell you this morning. He's aware of your thoughts as well. He's aware of your emotions. Why do we need that? Because there's times in your life and my life, we ask God, God, do you even know what's going on in here? God, do you even know what's going on in this situation? Not only does God know, the psalmist said in Psalm 139, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. You know my downsitting, my uprising. You understand my thoughts afar off and uh, thou compassest my path, my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. Hey, not only does he know, but look in our passage, you know what he knew what to do? He knew how to help them. He knew their thoughts and their emotions and he knew what he needed to do to help them in that situation. So what did he do? Well, Jesus not only forgave the man's sins, but he healed him. And then verse number 26 says that they were all amazed. Jesus knew that even the Pharisees needed to see him heal. He, needed, they, he knew that in order for them to be amazed and recognize that who he was, he knew exactly what they needed. And here's the principle I just want you to understand. The Lord knows more about our emotions and our thoughts than we know ourselves. You know what that means? That means this week you're gonna question, God, do you know what's going on? The answer is a big capital. Yes, he knows what's going on and he knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly the solution. He knows exactly the the calm that you need. He knows the verse to bring to you. He knows the encouragement to send your way. Hey, God knows our thoughts and God knows our emotions. And lastly today, Jesus can forgive sins. Jesus can forgive sins. You see in Luke 5.20, he says, thy sins are forgiven thee. And they ask, who can do this but God? And Jesus basically says, well, I can because I am God. I love how... 
One man said it when he said these words. This is a great, great and important word that Jesus gives. Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Beyond all argument, the greatest preacher ever was Jesus Christ. And beyond all argument, the greatest message ever preached was the message of forgiveness. You can mark it down. We're just pulling out some principles from a few days in the life of Christ. But every time Jesus spoke to somebody about who he was, do you wanna know the point that he brought to them was I am the only one that can bring you forgiveness of sins. Hey, we live in a culture that says that you can have forgiveness if you work hard enough. You can have forgiveness if you get baptized. You can have forgiveness if you follow a certain uh, sect of religion. You can have forgiveness if you are religious enough. But the fact of the matter is that forgiveness only comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the only one that can offer you forgiveness. You and I cannot earn that. And this morning, I would say it today, that if you are here and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus, or you think that you're going to heaven because you're a good person or that you're forgiven because you got baptized or went to such and such church or your grandpa was a pastor or a bishop or whatever. Listen, the only way that you and I can have a relationship with God is by forgiveness, the forgiveness through Jesus Christ. But then once he forgives us, Here's what the psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You know what that is? That's infinite forgiveness. You know what the devil likes to do? He likes to crawl up on your shoulder and say, ah, you messed up again. See, you're not worthy. See, you're not. He likes to guilt us. You know what God says? I've forgiven you. Now, does that give us a right to sin? No. It gives us the understanding I'm not bound to sin anymore. I love how the prophet Micah put it when he said, who is, like, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever. Why? Because God delights in mercy. When you trust Jesus Christ as your savior, that forgiveness of infinite forgiveness, past, present, and future, it belongs completely to you. I'd ask you this morning, have you trusted Christ as your savior? Have you received his forgiveness? Because if you haven't, today needs to be that day. That day when you put your faith and your trust in him alone. Not in a church or a pastor or some religion, but in Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, how do I know that I'll receive that? Because Jesus said, whoever will, let him come. You say, all right, pastor, we got it. Five lessons that we can learn, what to do with us. Here's the prayer, the decision I would want us to make today. To have this mindset of God, help me to continually come to you to allow you to work in my life, recognizing that you are willing and you are able. God, help me to trust you completely and find rest and rejuvenation like you did, finding rest in you. And Lord, would you help me to consistently remember that you know me and you know exactly what I need. You see, because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, there are times when we think that God's hiding stuff from us. We think that God's like, ha ha, here's my plan. <laughs> see if you can find it. We think that God has some special identity. You know what God says? I go back to the first point we started at. If you're willing and able, just come to me. I'll work. So what's the one decision we could walk away with today? Hey, this week, God is willing and able to work in your life. 
He's willing and able to give you rest. He's willing and able to help you believe and have faith. God's willing and able to work and to bless your faith. God is willing and able to meet your needs. Listen, God is willing and able to do a great work in your life. Are you willing to come to him?